Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with your co-host, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and his wife, Jeannie. Michael and Jeannie share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. They offer tools and support five days a week. They will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love. In Aramaic, Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.whyagain.com. And now your co-host, the forgiveness doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. To the brightness within you and the truth that is rooted within me. Hi and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the forgiveness doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host, and we welcome you to the show, along with Dr. Tim Hayes. Today is, let's see, what is today? Today is Thursday, March the 10th, 2016. And our call-in number is 646-200-4169. Press 1, and that puts you in queue to talk to us. We would love to hear your comments and your questions because that makes this your show. I'm not sure, Michael, are you ready to talk or you need us to fill in some time? I know he's outside busy doing some other things. He must need me to talk. So we welcome you to Mind Shifters Radio. And what this is about is shifting your mind. And the way we do that is through the Aramaic forgiveness and forgiveness is not meaning the way this culture says forgiveness you and i interact and i become angry but i forgive you that's pardoning and that's a nice thing to do but that doesn't do anything then to address the anger inside of me or you and so aramaic forgiveness is how you go inside and you remove the things that don't belong the anger the guilt the fear the shame the pain all of those things and get back to being who we were designed to be You know, it says that we're created in the image of the Creator and that the Creator is love. So that's the stuff we're made of. So anything less than love that is within needs to be removed because it actually is disintegrative to you and it becomes your physical diseases. And so that's what this program's about. And we love when people call in and ask questions and ask for support because that really makes the show live and it brings things into what you need to hear instead of us just sitting and and talking about what we do. We can actually extend it and you can have an experience of it instead of just listening to it. So we do encourage you to call in. If you do call in, press 1. That lets me know that you want to talk, that you're not just out there listening. And we are glad that you're here. So, uh, Michael, are you with us? I guess not. So let me welcome Dr. Tim. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good. I'm well. Is uh, is Michael lost in the wilderness somewhere? (laughs) He's actually, they've, uh, uh, some of the guys had delivered a refrigerator out to one of the buildings. They were just going to put it in storage, and we had been having some 
difficulty with the refrigerator that's in the place here with it leaking and stuff. And so we thought, well, if that one works better, we would put this one that's in here out in storage and bring that one in here. And so he's attempting to find some way to plug it up before dragging it all the way into the house because that's out on the back side of the property. And so he's figuring out a way to hook it up and make sure that it works before dragging it all the way in here. <laughs> so um, he's probably got both hands full with the refrigerator. All right. So, yeah. Well, I'm I'm here. I'm doing well. I'm getting ready for another group tonight. We had a power-packed group on Tuesday. We didn't really talk about that yesterday, but we had... 15 people plus me in the group on Tuesday. It was an unusually large group. Wow, that's and, awesome. Yeah, and uh, we had some some people who hadn't been there in quite a while who came back from months and months of being away. We had um, two people that were only there for their second time ever. So, you know, it's just it's one of those things that happens to me as I keep holding the group space and um it's i'm in my 10th year now holding the space for tuesday nights from 6:30 to 9 and sometimes um there as we've mentioned on the show there's only one or two people that show up a couple weeks ago in my thursday group there was one other person and myself and uh but after 10 years of holding the group tuesdays from 6:30 to 9 occasionally People remember, and they start coming back at the same time. They just happen to all show up at the same time. So it was very uh, lovely group. We did um, the first half of the more recent. I think somewhere in the video he says, let's go back seven years to the year 2000. So I think he recorded Healing Through Relationships somewhere in 2007 or 2008. And that was the first half of the video we watched. And, um, of course, it, the week before we had finished up codependence to interdependence at someone's specific request. So it sparked a lot of conversation. And uh, a couple times I, after having passed out the worksheets, the blank worksheets, and offering people a chance to do the worksheets, there were such poignant, important questions about past worksheets people had done or how to frame a worksheet that people wanted to do, we ended up doing nothing but discussion. And in the process, several people got enlightenment about worksheets that they'd been stuck on or ones that had gotten triggered during the video. So it was a very powerful group. And with all those people there and everybody holding the space, and offering perspectives it was it was one of those rare instances where even though a worksheet didn't happen in the group that night several people felt shifts so and then today i had somebody come in and say you know i want to work on a worksheet but i don't know how anybody would ever do a worksheet and 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 go through it quickly enough that they could do 3 a day or 5 a day so we talked about how when we're doing a worksheet process in the Mindshifter support group, 
we're teaching. And sometimes we've got people there that are there for the first or second time and they barely know the work at all. And sometimes we have people there who've been coming for a year and a half or two or three years, but they've got such a deep emotional issue that it takes them a long time to frame the goal. It takes them a long time to figure out who the actual trigger is and takes them a long time to uncover the thought they're using to generate the emotion, and then they do a deeper release process. So sometimes it'll take us 25 or 30 minutes to go through one worksheet. Because we're doing the teaching and because we take a longer time during the release goal-canceling process. So this time in a session earlier this morning, I was helping somebody buzz through a worksheet in just seven minutes. And they talked about how they got a lot out of that. And they got a lot out of that, sometimes even more than the last time they spent a half an hour doing one at home. So it's a process. It's a tool. There's all kinds of different ways to use it. Some people use a a mental short version on the fly at work. As long as I'm willing to identify the thought I'm using to cause an unpleasant emotion and the goal it's not getting satisfied in the moment, and I'm willing to cancel that goal and ask to be shown how I'm actually creating my pain, magic can happen. Seeming magic happens in my life. Energies shift, negative emotions fall away, and often insight shows up in its place. So I'm... I'm thrilled to be using the tools, to have had exposure to them, and to have found a way to make it a part of what I do in my life. So that's my input for today. Does that spark any thoughts for you, Jeannie? Yeah, it does. Um, Actually, a couple things. One, um, and of course, depending on whether, you know, if it's in a class and there's a lot of questions and someone's trying to dig deeper, but don't you think sometimes if, if, like, especially after you've been doing a a few wake-up sheets, if you find that it's taken you, you know, that long to identify, you know, what you're feeling and your goal and everything, do you think that sometimes that's a person trying to figure it all out instead of just doing the process? I know it's different if it's actually in your class and you're teaching the worksheet, but I've I've had people also say, you know, oh, it takes so long to do one and, and everything. And I agree, sometimes, you know, it does take a little bit longer, but then... You know, once you get into it, you can go through a worksheet usually in five, ten minutes. Yes, and that was part of the discussion on Tuesday night that someone was spending lots and lots of time trying to figure out what the perfect thought was. And um, so the suggestion that I had on Tuesday night was make a list of thoughts that might generate anger in this situation and then do a separate worksheet on each one of them and don't worry about which one's the perfect one just list them out and then take one of them put it in the worksheet and work it through and then take another one put it in the worksheet and work it through and you'll get access to a different part of your unconscious each time you see it each time you go through the process with a different thought even if it's the same goal even if it's the same emotion Right, I agree. A lot of times, you know, and this happened in the intensive when we were doing it too, is uh, somebody would be doing a, a wake-up sheet 
and they would either you know come across one of their 77 times 70 issues and so we'd say okay take that same goal you know maybe it was you know that they repeatedly in their life felt like someone had um, you know taken advantage of them let's say and so we'd say okay take five worksheets and lay them out side by side and put that same thought they took advantage of me and then later go back and back into the worksheet you know put in there you know a time when you felt that for person a and it brought up sadness and for person b and it brought up anger and person c and it brought up you know whatever and that you could actually have that same you know that same thought or even the same emotion or the same incident and with different people and different emotions and so you can like fill in several worksheets and just kind of have like five of them side by side and the top parts are most identical in all of them and then go through and and identify the specific goal in each of those cases, and then you'll get a different result on the bottom half of it. But uh, one of the things we did also during the intensive is doing a worksheet on ourself. And I shared that one of the things that I do when I do a worksheet on myself is that I put down, like, Jeannie the being, that's, you know, 1A, and then doing the worksheet on Jeannie, the carbon-based memory, or the non-being. And so that helps to distinguish as if it's two people. Because sometimes people have a hard time trying to figure out how do I do a worksheet on myself and yet look at myself as a third person as I'm moving through, you know, what's the goal I hold and things like that. And so that seemed to help some people to kind of like, you're almost like, a split personality, so it's the being and the non-being side of the board, and so you're doing a worksheet on the non-being side, or maybe even the non-being doing one on the being side. But so that seemed to help on on being able to do worksheets on yourself. Agreed. All good ideas. And uh, what, one of the things I like is that when we start sharing these things, whether it's in the support group or on the radio like this, is it just stimulates other people to think about their own. Some people will tap into what you just said, and that will give them some insight, and some people will tap into it and will have a new insight that's completely unrelated to what you and I just said, but it got stimulated by what we're, we're doing here, just discussing our options. Right. And we actually had someone, when when you said, uh, someone said, you know, well, how can you do three to five worksheets a day or whatever? We had some people even in the intensive and we, you know, gently invited them to look that they were in denial when they said they didn't have five worksheets a day worth of issues to do. And so we actually had some of the people doing worksheets on good things. You know, we told them, you know, if just the same way that if you think, you know, Charlie made me mad and George made me sad, that if I think Michael makes me happy or Tim makes me happy or something like that, that's worksheet material as well because nothing outside of you can make you feel anything and whether it's, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. And so we actually had people doing worksheets on good stuff. <laughs> so that was pretty pretty comical too. But. It's all about sometimes, I think, people attempting to avoid looking at something, and so they'll say, oh, I don't have an issue with that. 
and well, then we come into. Let's just go on record as saying that anybody that says they don't have enough issues to do five worksheets a day on is in complete denial. If they're Absolutely. if they're standing in front of you, if they're in a body on this planet, and they're saying they don't have issues to do five worksheets a day, they're in complete blatant denial. I totally agree. And it's, Actually, and it's, it's okay. <laughs> I mean, I can be in denial. I can choose to be in denial, but I'm probably going to do more damage to myself and my relationships and those around me than I would like, but I can be there. It's a choice. Right. I actually have a huge list. Uh, it says, hints for those who have no issues, for those among us who have no issues. <laughs> and it's a, a list, alphabetical list, of things that could bring up an issue. And it's everything from, it starts with abandonment and goes through arrogance and availability and blockage and burden and crisis and degradation. It goes all the way down, it's through the whole alphabet. And uh, so it maybe stirs some ideas in people if they think, you know, I don't have any issues about anything. And I'm sure there's a gazillion more besides what I have listed there, but that's a pretty detailed list of stuff just to give someone an idea of what they can do a worksheet on if they want to pretend that they don't have an issue. (laughs) But anyway, so let me ask another question. This uh, has come up um, a couple of times in the last few days working with different people, and it's... uh, on when do you know that it's okay to walk away? You know, we we often say, you know, if if you're in a situation, whether it's work or family or a significant other or whatever, we usually hear it when it's referencing to you know someone in a a relationship, a significant other type relationship. It's when I hear it the most, but it applies in other arenas of our life too. And we always say, you know, if if being with them or around them brings something up for you, then that's your work. And so, you know, a person can continue to do work around it, but when is it okay to say, okay, enough is enough and I'm out of here? And I always tell people you have to keep doing your work around it or you'll just bring in another person with that exact same issue, you know, to bring it up for you again. But do you have any guidance on that? Well, my simple answer to that is it is always okay to walk away. It's always okay to walk away. In every situation, in every moment, it's always okay to walk away. Now, having said that, there are always going to be consequences for my choice to walk away. And as you said, if I walk away, and as we know in the core of this work, I think I'm walking away because of what that person said or did, then I've just created more baggage in a prison for myself. However, if I walk away knowing I'm walking away because it's my choice and it's my upset that got resonated and I have work to do, then it might be the best choice in that moment to keep myself safe, to keep them safe, 
to give me the space to work on my issue. It might also be something that's isolating me from the very conditions that will help me work through it the most. If the person standing in front of me is loving and supportive and I get triggered and decide to walk away, I may have made my process more difficult. And it's still okay to walk away. Now, everybody has to choose the situations and the tools they're going to use and the way they're going to apply them. And knowing, if I know in each moment that whatever comes up inside of me is my stuff, if I have somebody who's willing to sit with me while I'm in my stuff and support me doing my work, if I walk away from that, I'm probably pushing it down in denial and making it more difficult for me to get at my stuff and move to a healthier place in my life. However, I've seen a lot of people who have a goal to be loving in all circumstances and they get triggered and they're holding the goal for themselves to be loving in all circumstances. And so that goal is blinding them to the fact that they're not really being very loving. And they will put the upset they're feeling on to somebody else, and they'll try and stay in a space with someone when they've been triggered, but blame the other person for the upset they're feeling. And so it can get very, very convoluted very quickly. So my goal is to continually day after day get better at tuning into the upsets the little irritations the deep rages that might get triggered within me and sooner each day get better at calling the time out for myself restoring myself to the breath and awareness of the breath and applying tools to what's come up inside of me And the breath is one, the cancellation of the goal is another, the tapping might be another. And then, after I've made that centering move and reconnected with my true nature as love, then try to decide, do I walk away from a situation or do I stay here and do my processing? But either way, I've focused on the idea that it's my processing to do. So that's my input for people. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you. We do have a hand up. I think it might be Rex. 517, you're on the air. Or is it Mitzi? No, it's actually Rex. Hi. Hi, Rex. Welcome. Hi, Rex. Everybody doing? Hi, Kim. Um, I uh, had a few things I wanted to share. I don't know how many because I know I have... I have one more thing, one more thing. Um, but one thing I definitely would like to say is my uh, son, Joshua, and his wonderful wife, Sandy, are having a baby. And Sandy is in labor as we speak, and Missy's at the hospital with him. I'm going down soon. So I just wanted to put it out to our audience, our community, to hold the space of love for a healthy, successful, um, beautiful birth um, and, uh, you know, uh, without incident other than just joy and uh, bringing in a new baby. Uh, uh, Kai Aloysius Bauer is his name. So we're excited about that. I just wanted to share that as well with our group and the hopes that everyone would hold the space of love 
for the highest possible outcome. Awesome. Congratulations. Yes. Number two, our Shaylee, our granddaughter, just turned a year on the 18th of February. So we're pretty excited about that. Um, awesome. And I, I apologize. I'm getting another call. It might be Joshua. Uh, so the the other thing I wanted to share was uh, that when when a person or anyone for that matter thinks they don't have an issue, one of the things that is really helpful for me is I I look at it as if if there's a moment in my mind, just a split second, where I am thinking, feeling, or seeing myself as something other than pure love, or I'm thinking, thinking, seeing, and feeling someone outside of me may not be pure love, no matter what their actions or thoughts are or feelings or whatever they're doing, I have an opportunity to apply the tool of forgiveness to it. And so it, what it does is it eliminates that idea that, well, it did for me anyway. <laughs> I trust if a person's in denial, we're going to deny it one way or another. But that was the easiest criteria for me to determine that I always have something that I can do a worksheet on. And and it's a matter of just being open and willing. And I think the more I do them, the more I tap, the more I breathe, the more I presence love and my conscious awareness, as the first law indicates, uh, the easier it is to move through the things that are resonated in me. But I see on a regular basis where I make judgments on things, plus or minus, I make this right, I make that wrong, and it's almost always based on inaccurate data that I've got. A simplest example, I was looking for my jean jacket, I was going to put it on because it's quite warm here, we've had a really wonderful um, march so far, and I was putting on my jean jacket, and I was looking for it, I couldn't find it in the closet. So my mind went to, well, I wonder if Mitzi wore it, and maybe she has it in her car. And then my mind went to, well, gosh, she won't even let me wear her winter coat doing stretching outside. And <laughs> it was all based on inaccurate data. And I share that because immediately, well, not immediately, within a matter of seconds, I was able to see that I was having a judgment based on something I wasn't getting fulfilled, the goal for me to be able to reach out and grab my coat and put it on. And I wanted to make it something outside of me and make them responsible for it. And then I found the coat hiding behind the, the clothes in there. And <laughs> it wasn't really hiding. It was sitting there in full view. But it's just a simple example. And what I have continuously done in my life in the past, especially when I was a young person, is reinforce the idea that something outside of me is responsible for what happens inside of me. And so it's just to reinforce what you were saying, Tim and, and uh, Jeannie, the idea that there's always something to work on. That being said, I think the, the most ideal thing that I could apply to any given moment is the idea that uh, the concept that I can engage love, conscious in my mind, by many, whatever method I might choose, uh, but I choose to consciously after Rukha to engage Rakma Kuba in my mind or just consciously engage Rakma and Kuba in my mind, the filters over love, or the filters over my mind of love, over intention and perception. And what I find in doing that on a regular basis, it does help to 
manage what has resonated in me in the form of judgment, plus or minus. And the last thing on that piece was um, Michael was here when Journey, our son, uh, died, and he came up with loving support, and we were in the hot tub talking, and I I had the question, I said, Michael, how many times do you engage love in your mind? How many times do you engage Rachma, the filter's Rachma, and Kuba in your mind? And he paused, and he took a deep breath, and he looked at me and he said, two or three times a second. I think I'm down to two or three times a second now. And it was such a poignant, profound moment for me because I recognized, wow, I thought I was doing pretty good by remembering to engage Rachma every few minutes or once an hour or whatever. And it goes back to the laws of living material that says that we, you know, according to Harvard research, we can change the filters in our mind 22 times a second and do and can occasionally do that or do regularly. So just reminders about the importance of maintaining integrity of love and the first law and uh, reinforcing the idea that we always have something to work on, but the more we approach it with love and joy, the less difficulty it will be to uh, allow it to integrate. Awesome, Rex. Congratulations on that new baby coming. That's awesome. We hold the space for them. That's fabulous. Oh, it's exciting. It's really exciting. See, Sandy, is, uh, she was 43 weeks, so she was um, almost two weeks, quote, overdue, and just uh-huh. as calm as can be, just, just peaceful. Mitzi was realizing that by Saturday they were going to force induction. That's kind of what they do in the medical field. And they, uh-huh. Anyway, we were moving in that direction, so we were just asking Kai, hey, if you can come, let's Let's do it. <laughs> you know, if it's okay, awesome. if the timing's okay. And then she went into labor this morning, and it happened pretty fast, and and she's moving right Sweet. along. So it's her first baby, but Sweet. we're excited. Well, we hold the space. That's awesome. That's awesome. And uh, and that your uh, your other granddaughter is now a year. What a fast yes, year! Fairly. I know we're. We've just gone past uh, four with uh, with Adeline, and so fortunately we get to spend wow. a week with them next week in Orlando. Uh, the whole, all the kids are coming. We're all going to be together actually for the first time in about uh, five years where everybody's been together at once, so that'll be fun. Oh, that sounds exciting. Say hi to everyone yeah. for me. Yeah, we'll do it. Beautiful. And uh, that, was a, that, that was a really nice, uh, illustration, Rex, of uh, of how the mind can jump projections, and then a nice illustration of catching yourself when you know when it didn't work any longer. You'd proven to yourself that Mitzi wasn't the problem with the coat. That uh, that then the mind says, yes, well the coat was hiding from me, <laughs> like a coat could hide. And then catching yourself at it. But you know, it, it reminds me. You know, you, several years ago I worked with a woman who. Um, you know, I had a private practice in South Florida, and I had this woman who was uh, sharing how she caught herself. You know, she'd been practicing and working the tools, watching language, watching her own mind, you know, kind of the practice of becoming a thinker apart from the thoughts. And she was in an intimate situation with her husband, and without really being aware of it or, or really thinking about it, she caught herself fantasizing about someone else. And immediately went into, oh, my God, that's terrible guilt, and just totally cut herself off from that. But then was able to catch her mind as she then started to wonder, and this is in the midst of intimacy with her husband, started to wonder if he'd been cheating on her. 
and how the mind can just pop back up with these things over and over and over, and it really takes constant vigilance to keep it uh, keep it on track. Very true. So nice demonstration yeah, on, both, on both points. <laughs> Thank you. That, those are great examples cool. too, because it's it happens so fast too, Michael. I I uh, instant. I'm doing and an article. And mind is always. And... Go ahead. Uh, well, I was just going to say, I'm doing an article right now. I'm writing an article on love and judgment and how they relate. Uh-huh. And, and so this it's fresh in my mind, so I stepped up away from the computer to grab my coat. And I smiled as soon as I heard my mind delivering information about what I'm going to say to Mitzi. And, hey, you know, why would you not let me wear your nice coat when I'm stretching, which is just irrelevant. But, you know, why would you not let me wear my, your nice coat when you take my coat without even asking me? And none of that ever actually happened. <laughs> I was chuckling. As it was happening, I was chuckling at myself and going, wow, this is another example of judging, you know. Yeah. And, it, and yeah, it's, sure. it's so, it happens so fast that that it does take diligence and it does take repetition. And it's where I love what you say over and over again. It's all of the above. It's using the tools. Uh, you know, so for sure, actively. So go ahead. You were going to say something yeah. as well, Michael. Cool. No, I was just agreeing with you. Very true. Yeah. So it's All awesome. Right. I appreciate it. I'm gonna. I think it might have been Joshua, my son, calling from the hospital because it was a 702 number. So I'm gonna okay. check that. Well, we hold the, um, but we hold I, the space and keep I'll, posted. Thank you so much. We'll let you know when Kai is successfully, right. healthfully born. Blessings, everyone. Okay. I'll stay on the line Blessings. as long as I can. Alrighty. And, you know, Jeannie, you, you brought forward that question, which has been a topic of discussion, uh, you know, in the intensive, and it comes up often about the, the leaving issue. And a couple of thoughts in that regard is that my take is that we have been tra- taught to objectify ourselves, to turn ourselves into objects, and especially in intimate relationships, to turn ourselves and others into sexual objects. And, of course, in a world where you've got a relationship with an object, uh, once you finish with it, you throw it away. That's just, you know, this throwaway society. That's what people do. And that leaving issue is is related to, you know, I think objectifying ourselves and each other and, you know, thinking that relationships are throwaway. When we move out of relating to ourselves and others as objects and into actual relationships with beings, throwaway is no longer an option. It just is not part of the game. And I think that one of the biggest issues on the planet to be healed, and, you know, I'm opening the space and inviting everybody to really look at this and participate in healing this issue, is if you look at, you know, we're at a, what, something like a 60% divorce rate, we're at 100% death rate. You know, as far as we know at this point, pretty much everybody dies. That's leaving. And I think that a lot of death has to do with I can't handle what's going on inside of me anymore. I don't want to deal with this. I'm going to stuff this down. I'm going to drug myself. I'm going to weaken myself to the point of death so that I don't have to feel and I don't have to deal with this. So my invitation to people is to choose to become one. And, and of course, I agree with you, Tim. It's up to everybody to decide at what point is it appropriate for them to leave. And I certainly uh, put out to people, if you're in physical danger of any kind, then, you know, get out of Dodge as fast as you can. No question about it. There's work to be done. Keep doing your work. But beyond that, well, you're right. It's appropriate to leave anytime somebody 
chooses to. And and actually, I, I debate whether or not um, choosing it is the appropriate word. I think that leaving is usually a decision, and it's a decision that comes from carbon-based memory. Having a thousand generations before us, which means billions of people who've died, who've left relationships, who've abandoned children, who've abandoned spouses, abandoned themselves. You know, people at, at, at about the age of three to four, as a human being, leave themselves, abandon themselves. And, and so I think this whole leaving issue is all a reflection of that and an invitation to go into depth and heal this leaving issue. And I know that a lot of relationships, uh, and, and when you think about it, if you're a person who's always threatening to leave, and, and that's a way of oftentimes beating people into submission, it's another form of abuse, I invite you to take that off the table and to let go of, because when somebody lives under that kind of threat all the time, it's a Generally speaking, people have a lot of goals around that, so it becomes a huge stress for them. It, it, it brings up a lot of stress and a lot of pain. And so I invite people in relationships to take leaving off the table, and you know that's why one of the lines in the commitment is, I'm here for and with you, keeping communication open and keeping love conscious, active and present as we heal, celebrate life, and grow together. And so to, to really be willing to perhaps even entertain, could I so heal the leaving issue that I would literally access the death frequencies in my genes that when they become activated will literally physically kill me? Would I be willing to work through this issue at the depth where I can access that in me I can apply forgiveness to that and remove it and perhaps forget to die. And, and of course, for people who think their bodies, that just sounds ridiculous because that's matter and matter decays and people die. That's just the way it is. I offer that is the way it is, but that's not the way it is. It's what's happening. But my offering is that perhaps it's just happening because everybody's bought into the program. And when you buy into a cause, you get to experience the effect. Now, my background, you know, part of my background is in the world of physics. And from a physics point of view, here's what we know. Matter doesn't exist. It's energy. And we know that energy is eternal. Energy can neither be created nor destroyed. There is simply a perpetual transmutation of energy. That is, energy changes from one form to another. Is it possible if you have an integrated form that you call a body, which really isn't, it's an energy field, that if you removed every disintegrative energy, everything that does not support the integration of that energy field, is it possible that you wouldn't have to change its form and put it through the process called death? Because as an energy system, you know, we've got two qualities of energy. What builds it up? What tears it down? Hate, fear, anger, rage, guilt, grief, slander, condemnation, uh, viciousness, uh, all of those things, gossip are all energies that to the person engaging them in them is integrating or putting into their system a disintegrative energy, which means sooner or later, wherever that energy is stored, the tissue in which it's stored or the apparent tissue, the energy field in which it's stored, is going to begin to fall apart or disintegrate. We call it death. Is it possible, and I'm just throwing out a thought, is it possible that that's not necessary? Now, people will say, oh, Michael, that's ridiculous. That's just denial. That's silly to even think that way. Well, here's my offering. 
If I am totally and completely in error about that, I promise that doing what it takes to clean out every form of disintegrative energy, forgiving, accessing, whatever would kill you, doing that will never hurt you or harm you in any way, shape, or form. And it may empower you to step into eternal life. Denying the possibility of that guarantees you get dead. And maybe it's not necessary. Maybe the decaying, decrepit body has nothing to do with time. Maybe the decaying, decrepit body that people say, well, this person just got old. Age has got nothing to do with it. There are people at 95 that are as spry and bright and and alive as people at 20. And there are people at 20 that are so close to death that they might as well be 90 in this culture. So maybe it hasn't got to do with time. Maybe it's got to do with the energies that we engage in. I remember hearing one time a quote from a piece of research done by a medical group in in Cincinnati, Ohio. It's called the DeCourcy Clinic. And this was research on aging. And here's what this medical group came up with. Quote, time is not toxic. Time has no effect on human tissue under any conditions. It is a belief in the effects of time by those who subscribe to such a belief that acts as a poison. Possible they were right. And I just invite everybody to entertain that. And, you know, if it's not fully logical to you yet, then put it on the shelf awaiting further light and just watch. And what you'll see is, as you begin to engage in deeper and deeper levels in removing disintegrative energies based in hostility or fear, your structure will become more vital, more alive, more intelligent, more capable, more flexible, and more powerful. That's what will happen. And, you know, when you recognize that the master builder is the mind, and we either build or tear down with the mind of carbon-based memory, the so-called body, or we go to another mind, a higher mind, which has some different ideas for us. In the ancient teachings, it was called the mind of Christ. It was the mind of love. And that you and I have the right to think with that mind. And if we're in the middle of a relationship hassle where we can't think with that mind, we have a problem. And when I say we, I mean the person who can't think with the mind of love in the middle of that stressful situation where you've got goals that are uncanceled, you have a problem. And, and you know, I can't say too often, when, when you get that little gut, gut grind or you just do that little hold the breath or that, you know, that clench the fist, just to stop and say to yourself, in the middle of that, as your mind has got a whole story about how it's about, you know, my wife and her coat or the coat hiding on me, as Rex just said to us, you know, if, if I can entertain and simply say to myself, hmm, this clenching fist, this gut grind, this locked chest, this held breath is mine. It's about me. I can change it now. Then I'll be taking great strides into eternal life. Any thoughts on that, Tim? You have to be kidding, right? Uh, I'm, I'm as serious as a heart healing. I'm as serious as a heart healing, Tim. <laughs> you you say, okay, death isn't real. We don't have to die. And uh, any thoughts? You say you say 15 minutes of monologue, and you say any thoughts? <laughs> 
Go for yeah, it. Yeah, I have all kinds of thoughts. I have all kinds well, of thoughts. Some my mind your is thoughts racing. Are always awesome. Well, I mean, my, my well, mind's racing. Part of me is saying, here Michael goes again on this thing about we don't have to die, and, you know, <clears throat> there's worksheets in there for me to do because I haven't yet met the person who hasn't died, and I haven't yet met the person who hasn't shown the effects of um, aging. And, and I um, include myself in that, Tim. I include myself in that as well. But just because we don't know anybody who hasn't arrived, you know, if I look for me personally, you know, I was almost dead three or four times the first year of my life. I lived on an inhalator and pills every year through school. The first two weeks, I was in an oxygen tent. I mean, I, I could go on and on and on for the first 25 years of my life. And today, several journeys around the sun later, I am more vital and more alive and more capable have less pain and trauma in my body and diseases and disorders than I had when I was 20. So for me, it's a fact. Do I show? I mean, if you look at my videos from 25 years ago and you look at them today, there's obviously what people call aging. And I'd offer that that aging process is something, the integration of disintegrative energy into the system has been going on for thousands of generations, input from billions of lives. And just because I or, or any given person has not overcome all of that yet, so what? Does that mean that it's not possible? If you go back to Yeshua, now here's a guy who had a pretty good handle on things, and he says, to he that overcomes, he will not taste of the second death. He will become a pillar in the temple of my God and shall go out no more. What's he saying there in real terms? He's saying, what's a pillar? It's a fixture. What's the temple? Your body. You're not going to have to kill another one. But it's a big habit to overcome, no, no question about it. It's a big task. But, you know, um, if, if one's going to apply themselves to fulfilling uh, a purpose, I say that's one of the loftiest ones we can do. Well, I would agree. <clears throat> I would agree. And I, I – my – the the things that get resonated in me when you begin that process is or that kind of a dialogue around we don't have to die and um dying is leaving and leaving from a relationship i mean the the progression you made some of the things that get triggered in my mind are okay and with that and you know 5 bucks i can get a bunch of carrots at the local health food store However, so many of my days are filled with looking at, like Rex was saying, I go to look for a code and it's not there and my mind starts giving me attacks of either attacking myself or somebody else. And So that's where my focus is. On the, the, the In the moment, day to day, monitoring and restoring and being more loving. And I think it's entirely possible that that will lead to you know, if I get to do this throughout the the rest of this lifetime, if I stay focused on it, it'll lead to a longer, healthier, more flexible life. I've already seen aspects of that in my life. That my life is more joyous, more flexible, more creative, with more energy than it was before I started doing this work. And so I don't 
find the need to keep projecting into the, well, maybe I'll never die. So, um, and then, of course, it, 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 it began with talk about relationships and leaving in relationships. And here, you and I clearly have some slightly different perspectives because there, you know, I remember you giving a talk about the commitment and saying the commitment was developed out of issues that you ran into in your life. And so every part of the commitment, if you read it, you look at these were Michael's issues. And 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 you said, you know, you used to leave. You used to be in relationships and just leave. And so some of us who are in relationships haven't had that as a pattern, have had the other part as a pattern, stayed longer than it was healthy, stayed even after the other person had left emotionally. So it may not be univer- it, it may not be universally applicable to say that you know the biggest thing in relationships is leaving. That's that's my thought when you get to that point. Okay. So so my input would be is there such a thing as staying longer than one should have if one who doesn't have the tools to heal leaves? Is there such a thing? How do you assess that? If one hasn't had the tools, you know, perhaps if one had always had the tools and been working forward, there would be no call in any way, shape, or form to leave. But without the tools, we create relation, or we create situations that say, man, I better get out of here because this is dangerous. So I just, you know, offer the, uh, the opposite uh, piece of information that maybe uh, if I'd have had the tools in any given situation, there would never have been such a thing as staying too long. Because I obviously went into a relationship because there was some sort of a sweet attraction. There was probably also matching bags of garbage. And what happened, my offering is that what happened is that the matching bags of garbage became so um, agitated and so activated that they took over the relationship. And what I did was I picked up my bag of garbage and went home. Whereas if I'd been in that situation and I had used the tools from day one, perhaps I would have never had my bag of garbage take over the relationship and I'd still be playing in the arena of health and wholeness and aliveness in a healed relationship with someone who was willing to do the same thing. And, of course, for the person who says, well, but I'm the only one in the relationship that wants to do any work, so that wouldn't work here. That For that person, then, I offer, so then the next piece of work is, so what's the part of me that feels like I don't deserve support in relationship? And if I look at that one and heal it, am I now on the next level in that relationship? So that would be my thought, and certainly, uh, you know, we all have our own uh, perspectives, and that's why we're here. It makes for interesting discussion and gives people perspectives. Well, I'm in full agreement. I think that the vast majority of our relationships could be the trigger for greater growth and more love and more harmony, and that the vast majority of our relationships do resonate things in me that I need to look at and dismantle. Um, 
And at the same time, a lot of those relationships have been entered into with people who were not coming from a space of love, either didn't know or were not using the tools, and they're not necessarily the mechanism for growth. You know, one of the things that people say, you know, everything comes into your life for a reason. And um, sometimes the reason is to get me to wake up and realize this isn't the right place for me to be. <laughs> you know, that I have once again stepped into an unhealthy pattern with somebody who's not willing to change and grow, and I'm trying to change them rather than look at my issues. And if I work on myself, whether it's in the relationship or out, and I clear the space, I may make the space open in my life for a much healthier, more flexible, more loving person who, even when they come into my life, they're going to resonate stuff I need to look at, and it creates or it opens a space for a much healthier, more loving, higher energy potential than the relationships I got into when I wasn't using the tools and I was blaming everybody else for the pain that I was feeling and whatever got resonated in me. So I think it works both ways from both ends of the stick toward the center. And if you're living your life with awareness that it's all an inside job and you have tools to apply to everything that's less than love that comes up in you, my experience has been my life has gotten better by leaps and bounds since applying these tools. And I'm much more concerned about how can I do that more and more? And then my life becomes an example for others. Of course, I get to live it, and that's the great joy. So it's not me telling other people that they need to stay or leave in a relationship. It's me saying, I want to be focused on what I'm doing in my life in this relationship right now. I want to get better at using the tools and applying them to my life. And that's where I keep coming back to in this discussion for sure well it, it's interesting you the the statement you you made or the series of statements you just made because of what i had planned on before we got involved with uh refrigerator trauma here in in, in ellington florida uh was uh, that you know where i was going to go with the uh, the intro was recognizing that all perception always tells more about the perceiver than the object one thinks they're perceiving. And so my offering would be for the person who says, well, you know, there's this person who isn't interested in using the tools and and that's the problem. I, I would offer to that person that perhaps there's a part of their own mind that isn't really using the tools and otherwise that perception would not show up. And so what do I need to work through? I mean, I've, I've worked with people who, yeah, this person, man, they're just, you know, and they, if they would just do that, they'd just do it, and then get their stuff stimulated, get whatever their core issue is moving, which they've set their lives up to be very skillful at avoiding, and all of a sudden when that happens, they want to, don't want a damn thing to do with the tools. Like, you know, don't even talk to me. No, I'm not interested in doing a worksheet. It's like, excuse me, wait a minute now. Remember just a few minutes ago you told me how the problem was that your partner wasn't using the tools? And look at where you are right now. And I've seen that happen over and over and over again. So, you know, we, I think we also have to be very careful of uh, our perceptions that are based especially in fear and hostility because they're always telling ourselves about what's going on in us. But the deeper the denial is the more convincing the picture is in mind that it's about somebody else. And that's why that little reminder of 
ooh, this is about me. This irritation, this um, little minor, tiny little holding of the breath, this minor clenching of the fist, this minor swear word going on in my mind is all about me. It's not about them. And using that as a reminder to keep opening and opening and opening, one might find that uh, a lot of what uh, they thought were the problems of the people around them were really problems inside their own minds. Michael? Go for it, Katie. Um, just a question. You said, you know, that perception, um, you talked about that, you know, when the person perceives that the other person's not doing their work and, and that the perception is about the perceiver and not about the object being perceived. But you've also said that you can perceive something from two points. One, that you've yeah. been there, you've worked through it, and right. the other is that you're you're actually perceiving your own carbon-based memory. So perhaps someone could be in a loving, clean space and actually be perceiving fairly accurately that the other person Absolutely. is not doing their work. And I'm glad Tim brought up the other point, too. I think a big point to look at and – you know, this could come across as I'm justifying the leaving for someone, but um, is that if they started the relationship on the wrong basis, you know, for instance, a lot of people just start a relationship out of just pure sexual attraction and don't sure. even consider, you know, are we moving on the same path? And um, right. so looking at where it began, would that not be, I mean, like, just staying in it because they keep bringing something up when it didn't start. It's kind of like starting without a pagra. Um, I don't know if that um, well, I think, is a I consideration. Think this would be a great start. Yeah. I think this would be a great starting point tomorrow. We're down to about 60 seconds, so not much room to talk about that at this point. <clears throat> but I think if we started those comments tomorrow, that would be awesome because it's a great place to go. And again, my take is it's always up to each individual if it's time for them to leave to make that choice and really make sure it comes from choice and comes from being and then continue to do one's work, as you said earlier, around whatever the issues are because that's going to, as you said earlier, going to draw somebody in to play the game out with me again. And, you know, if I look at how many times I've been there, done that, and here I am again, but now I'm really sure it's about them. My mind's lying to me. And and where there's upset, my mind is telling me about me. Yes, I can perceive accurately, but there's only going to be the presence of love in that perception. And we're down to close. So thank you, everybody. Blessings. Have a great day.